honor and a joy to get to open God's word with you today. Um, we have a, a passage in, in Hebrews that is, uh, in, in my opinion, a little, a little difficult. I was, during my, my study and kind of research, I, I read that, that John Piper said this was uh, the most confusing text he's ever, he's ever taught. John Piper said that. So you get, you get Blaine. Uh, <laughs> We should, we should pray quickly. We will, um, but uh, go ahead and open up to Hebrews 3. We're going to be in Hebrews uh, 3, 7, all the way through uh, 4:13. A little bit of background, I won't belabor this because we've gone through it uh, through the, through the uh, past couple weeks. Um, we don't know the author of, of Hebrews. Uh, we know that it was written. That's what we know. That's, we're, we're fairly certain of that. Uh, we know that you know, God, of course, is the original author. Original author. We're not really sure who the, the human author is. But uh, we, we know that this author is, is steeped in Jewish tradition. More than likely, he was once a Jew who has become a, a Christian. He's educated. There's over 160 Greek words that the author uses that are found nowhere else in the New Testament. So he's very intelligent. He's been trained. Um, and he's writing to Christians who were also at one point Jews, who have come out of the Christian faith, have, have believed in, in Christ to some degree. We'll, we'll kind of see that here in a second. Um, and at this time in church history, Christians are being heavily, heavily, heavily persecuted. And the Jews are kind of doing a lot of this persecution. And so you have these Jewish Christians who are kind of tempted to maybe let's go back in, move back into this, to our Jewish religion. It was a little easier from a persecution standpoint. So our author here in Hebrews is, is saying, no, 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 don't do that. Don't do that. And throughout Hebrews, well, what we've seen already, we've seen that um, the author says that Jesus is greater than angels. Jesus uh, is, is better than Moses. And throughout Hebrews, we'll keep getting this idea of Jesus is better. Jesus is greater. Jesus is more. Why would you go back to something lesser, smaller, less significant when you can be in Christ, who is greatest of all? And so try to feel, as we, as we go through it, the, the depth and the, and the gravity and the weight of what's being said, okay? And you can just imagine these little house churches in, 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 first century, in the first century, um, and they're, they're reading these, these letters, and they were, they were probably actually little sermons that were either written out and dispersed, or it was our author who was you know, giving a sermon to, to people and, and, and preaching, and you can imagine these little house churches, little family groups. Even right now, we have we have the Peltons over here, and we have some other other families with their with their you know mom, dad, kids. You can imagine these house churches where they there would there would be these little family units, but there may be just the mom and the kids, just the just the dad and the kids, and mom would be gone or dad would be gone. Why? They may have been killed. They may currently be sitting in prison. And so they're hearing these words to persevere, don't stop. There's a rest that God provides that has for you. And that's, that's heavy, right? That, that is a, a weight and that, that we're, we're going to be dealing with here. And so um, try, to, try to feel that as we go through it. So I'm going I'm to read this. It's a little longer of a passage, so I'm going to read it quickly. Is that okay? Okay, great. Uh, we're starting in verse 7. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness, where your fathers put me to the test and saw 
my works for 40 years. Therefore, I was provoked with that generation and said, they always go astray in their heart. They have not known my ways. As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end, as it is said today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. For who were those who heard and yet rebelled? Was it not those who left Egypt led by Moses? And with whom was he provoked for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who were disobedient? So we see that they were unable to enter because of unbelief. Therefore, while the promise of of entering his rest still stands, let us fear lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. For good news came to us just as to them, but the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened. For we who have believed enter that rest, as he has said, as I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest, although his works were finished from the foundation of the world. For he has somewhere spoken of the seventh day in this way, and God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again in this passage, he said, they shall not enter my rest. Therefore, since therefore it remains for some to enter it, and those who formerly received the good news failed to enter because of disobedience, again he appoints a certain day. Today, saying through David, so long afterward, in the words already quoted, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Let's pray. Um, Father, we thank you for your word. We believe it. We know that it is truth. Uh, We know that in it there is life and there is rest. Um, Father, we... We, you, you know um, that this that it's it's going to be difficult, Father. Some of these things are, are going to be difficult for us to to hear and un- understand. And um, we know that it's good for us to hear Your Word and to be convicted, Father. But we know it may not feel good. Um, so, Father, would you uh, give us Your grace, um, soften our hearts, Father? And God, we pray that everything that we do, um, everything that I say, Father, um, that it would be glorifying to You and beneficial to us. It's your name we pray. Amen. Okay, long passage. A little, little confusing. Lots of things going on here. Um, as, but as I was preparing for this sermon, um, an, exper- an experience that, that Liz and I, I had um, kept coming to my mind. So the, the main theme, that if I was going to sum up this passage in, in one word, it would be rest. There is a rest for the people of God. So an experience that Elizabeth and I had when we were first married, well, even now, we, Liz and I love to camp, and we love the beach, all right? Uh, so when, at one time when Liz and I were first married, we found a place in Florida where you could camp on the beach. That's like, that's like the perfect combination right there. And so we, we packed up all of our stuff, drove down to Pensacola, 
And we, we did the thing that every good Midwesterner should do on their first day at a Florida beach. We just got absolutely fried, just sunburnt, head to toe, front to back. We were just in, in pain. Uh, and so that night we slept really poorly, as you can imagine. Sunburn on coarse sand, not great. Uh, and so uh, we got up the next morning, ate a little breakfast, slathered ourselves with, with sunscreen, and did the beach thing just for a little bit until we were just so wiped out. So exhausted, uh, we, we came back, we were just going to take it easy. And what was great is that you know, we were on vacation. We planned nothing. The day was our own. Uh, and so we put up our big beach umbrella, put down towels, lay down on the towels, do the whole like shifting, burrowing in the sand to like indent your body into the sand. You know what I'm talking about, right? Love that, okay? So we're, we're, lay, we're laying there. We've got the warm Florida, Florida breeze. We have the sound of the ocean, seagulls. You know, this is like the perfect, the perfect opportunity. And so we're, we're laying there. Four hours later, we wake up from the most glorious nap that we have ever had. To this day, we'll be, we'll be sitting there doing something, and, and Liz and I will just, out of the loose, be like, remember that, that nap we had in Florida? <laughs> Do you? She does. It was an amazing nap. As you, so the, the main theme of our passage today is, is rest. Now, I can be sure, uh, I don't know much, but I know that our author is not talking about a Florida beach nap, um, but the kind of rest that he is talking about is the kind of peaceful, spiritual relaxation that can only be experienced by a child of God whose heart is soft to the Lord. And so in our passage today, I think that there are, there's, there's four main things that we're, we're going to pull out, okay? So number one is the reminders of God's rest. That's one. The realities of God's rest, the reason for God's rest, and the response to God's rest. The, here we go. The, the reminders of God's rest. Uh, look at verse 7 through 11 of, of Hebrews here. What, what, we're, what we're seeing, we're seeing the author of Hebrews is basically writing a sermon or delivering a sermon on Psalm 95, in, in the end of this chapter 3, from verse 7 through 19. We won't, we won't go to Psalm 95, but basically it, it's, it's King David writing to his hearers um, about how good God has been to them, how, what he has provided for them, and basically reminding them, hey, don't forget about our ancestors, who in the desert hundreds of years prior... God provided for them. He brought them out of Egypt with some wild miracles. He destroyed the Egyptian army. Remember all, all this? Remember how he provided for us in the desert? But also remember how our ancestors hardened their heart. They tested God. They didn't believe. And because of that, they died in the wilderness and never entered this promised land that, that God provided for them. So this is David's David's point. And, and what's interesting is that our, our author here in Hebrews is basically using the exact same, same points. The Israelites as an example of how not to live. They need to be, we need to watch out for. And so he quotes Psalm 95, but then if you look at, at verses uh, 16 through 19, check out those with me. He says, For who were those who heard and yet rebelled? Was it not all those who left Egypt led by Moses? And with whom was he provoked for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who were disobedient? So we see that they were unable to enter because of unbelief. So the theme of our author's sermon on Psalm 95 is don't miss out on this rest. 
Don't miss out on the rest. The main illustration of that sermon is, remember these Israelites, your ancestors. And the application we're going to look at right here in, in verse 12. Look at verse 12. The main application. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. So we have some kids here. Kids, parents, flick your child. Make sure they're paying attention. Kids, if, if, if you're paying attention, clap twice right, right now. Clap, clap twice. Excellent. We have some, some kids. I, I, think, I think I saw an adult clap back there. Um, no, but so, so kids, here, here you go. Pretend like you are, or remember a time when you are playing catch with a, a friend, right? You have a football, you have a frisbee, you have something like this, right? The two brothers here are looking at each other. With, with smirks. They're, they're remembering this. So remember, uh, imagine this. Your, your friend throws you, the, the frisbee throws you the ball, and immediately, let's pretend like your friend gets distracted by a butterfly. Right? Just, he throws it and just completely zones out. You catch it, and you throw it back, and as you throw it back, you realize that he's distracted, and you see this football going towards him, and he's still not paying attention. It's coming closer and closer. You don't want him to hit, it, hit him in the face, but it's going to, so what do you do? What? What, what, what do you yell? Look out. Look out! Heads up! Watch out! This is, right? Yes, very, very, very good. Very good, kids. You did, did your part. Yes, so look at what our verse says. It says, take care. Some of your verses may say, take heed, see to it. This is, you know, whatever your translation says, this is the author's way of saying spiritually, heads up. You've got something coming your way that you might not like. Namely, in our, our passage, it could, it could be a, a hard heart, a heart that is not soft to the Lord, that doesn't believe the promises of God, a heart that is evil, causing you to drift away like we saw in chapter 2 and fall away, as we're going to see in our in our passage. And, and so in, in our passage today, throughout and throughout Hebrews, the author gives a lot of warnings. A lot of these, these reminders. Hey, remember the Israelites and some warnings. Don't, don't do this. Look at, at chapter 4, verse 1. It says, Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear, lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. Um, what's interesting is our author uses the Greek word fear. You know what it means? It means fear. It means terror. It means alarm. The, the idea is that he's saying, hey, listen, don't miss out on this rest. And missing out is a very, very real possibility. So it's take care, watch out, heads up. Lost my place. There it is. Have you ever been in a, in a situation where, where you felt like spooked? Like, like a little like scared, eerie, or been a situation where you felt a little unsafe, um, where like your senses are cranked to eleven, like every little sound you think it's you know the clown from It or something behind you. All right, so uh, what was that? You, you like clowns? Uh oh, gotta watch out for that one. Um, when, when, when my, my wife and I uh, were on our honeymoon, we, we went to Colorado. There's going to be lots of Elizabeth and Blaine stories. I'm sorry. It's all I got. Um, uh, we went on our honeymoon to Colorado, did the, the Colorado thing, all right? And so uh, I'm not the most adventurous person. Uh, case in point, one of the most important experiences of my life was a nap uh, in Florida. <laughs> that, that should tell you a lot, actually. 
I'm gonna, I'm gonna have to ponder that. But we, we went to went to Colorado. I'm not ad- adventurous, and so um, Liz wanted to go whitewater rafting, right? Uh, and and so you know that's a lot of fun. Uh, and so we went whitewater rafting, and it got fun really quick. We're we're going along, and I've got my brand new bride sitting next to me that I would like to not perish, you know, days after we we you know got got, got married. And so we're going, and, and we're going along, and here comes this, this, big, this big rapid. We hit it, and our boat goes vertical, and I'm, I'm, I'm vigilant, and I'm ready. And before I know it, Elizabeth is, like, up here. And so I remember standing up out of the thing, grabbing her by her leg, and pulling her back down to the raft. I basically saved her life. <laughs> I, don't, I don't use that at home nearly enough. Um, I think she just rolled her eyes. I saved her life, guys. But the, I think this is what the author is, is getting across. The writer is reminding them that they are spiritually at risk. They need to have a healthy fear and be vigilant of what's, what's going on. And what's, what's also interesting of, of verse 4, 1, is that the, the phrasing there, the Greek phrasing, is what's called a passive present. And so a, a, another way that it could be, it could be stated, like your, your version... Well, my, my version says, uh, therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands. What it could say is, while the promise of entering his rest is still being caused to stand. Still being caused to stand. The idea is that God, in his love and in his mercy and patience, is giving people more opportunities to acknowledge his son as, as Lord and king over all things and, and, to, and to come to him. God in his mercy is allowing this to happen, but God did not promise that he was going to let people enter his rest forever. And in our passage, there's a big emphasis on this word today. Today, we see it in several times. In, I'm just going to go through this quickly. In verse 7, it says, Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, Today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts. Verses, uh, verse 13, But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today. Verse 15 as it is said, today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your heart, and we can go on and on. He keeps using this idea of, of today. So the main point is out of the love and mercy and patience of God, he has given all of us and every person on earth today. He's given us a, another day. So take care. Be vigilant. Have a healthy fear of the things that could cause you to drift away from God. We have to, we have to watch our our hearts, and we could do an entire sermon on what it, what it means for our hearts to be hard and why we have a proclivity to kind of turn away. And so the, the warning passages in Hebrews are a little, a little scary. Turn to Hebrews 2 real quick. Hebrews 2, one page over probably. Look at verse 1. Therefore, we, what, we must pay closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift Away from it. We've already read 3.12. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from God. Verse 14. For if we share in Christ, uh, for we share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence to the end. If. Small word, big meaning. If we hold our original confidence firm to the end. Uh, 4.1. Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear. And there's more and more. And we'll see them as we go through Hebrews. And some of us might be thinking right now, well, Blaine, I, I thought that when I became a Christian, I wouldn't have to fear you know, losing my salvation. 
I thought that you know, if I was one of God's elect, that he would, that he would hold me. And it's, you know, it's not up to me, it's up to God. The question is not, can I lose God? It's, can God lose me? Because he was the initiator of, of our faith, right? We absolutely affirm that, 100, 100%. You are correct. We believe in the doctrine of perseverance of the saints. All whom God has chosen will be saved. If he has filled you with the Spirit, if he has taken your, taken your old sinful nature and made it new, you will persevere to the end and be saved. Amen? This is like one of the, one of the biggest reasons we can have any hope of rest at all, because it's, it's not up to us. But I will say, what do we do with these passages then? If, we're, if we could possibly drift, if we could possibly fall away, what is, what is the author of Hebrews and a lot of places in Scripture, what are these authors saying? And I, I think there's, there's three main things um, that, that we need to just kind of to answer that, that question, because I've thought that many times. You may have, as well, asked about these warning passages. What am I supposed to do with this? Um, not, number one, I think, is we need to remember the audience. Um, as our, our, the, the preacher of Hebrews, the author of Hebrews is writing, he knows he's not talking to 100% of his readers, his audience is going to be Christians. They're going to be elect, saved, redeemed, regenerated Christians. Some of them will be, but not all of them. So we have to understand the, the groups. Yeah, one, one of the groups might be people who love the Lord, are soft to him, and all that. Another group, um, another group too, people who may only have a, a head knowledge of the truth and the lordship of Christ. They may go through the motions. They may check all the boxes. Remember, these are, are Jews that, were, that have been converted to Christianity, the Jewish faith. There's a lot of things that they have to do, and more than likely, there's a lot of boxes that were just being checked, right? And the, the parable of the, of the sower comes to mind. Sower goes out, and he's going to plant some seed, and he throws some seed, and, and part of it lands on good ground, and that good seed grows up and bears fruit. Some of it falls on rocky soil where it grows, but there's, but there's not really a faith there. There's, there's nothing that can sustain it. The roots are shallow, and stuff comes up in life, and persecution, actually, as, as Matthew writes it, and it just dies away. And so that could be the group that, that the Hebrews author is, is talking about in that, that second group. They check the boxes. They, they kind of know who God is, but there's no faith there. Or, or the third, the third group that are there, maybe they're just there for the show. They just happen to know somebody who's a part of this little house church, and so they just show up, um, grab some food, drink some wine uh, as they're taking communion, and call it a day. So that's, that's one thing we need to keep in mind. We, the, the authors of, of these warning texts, they have a bigger group in, in mind as they're writing. Number two, we need to remember the power and the purpose of, of God's word. And when I was kind of thinking about this, this, this hit me. This hit me pretty hard. Um, he said, um, you know, what, what, well, let me just ask you this. What has to happen before somebody comes, becomes a Christian? They have to hear something. What do they have to hear? The, the word starts with a G. They have to hear the gospel. They, they have to hear the gospel. We know that Romans 1, 1.16, you know, we all, we all know it. For I am not ashamed of the, the gospel, for it is the power, the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. Someone, before they can become a Christian, has to hear the words of God. They have to hear about the necessity and the preeminence of Jesus. They have to acknowledge him as Lord, and they won't be able to do that unless they hear someone preach, unless they hear the words of God. So we, we know that. And let me ask you this. Um, how do we grow in our faith and our knowledge of, of God and, his, and our understanding of his redemptive plan? 
Through his word, through studying, through hearing preaching. How do we stay hopeful for the future and remain joyful during hard times? Through the hearing of his word and preaching and studying of his word. Finally, how do we persevere to the end and remain in Christ? Through the preaching of his word, through the studying and constantly hearing his word from from pastors and from each other. And through, and through reading it are ourselves. And so these warning passages are one of God's means of grace that keep us in him. His words keep us vigilant. He, he, we, he, his words keep our spiritual heads on a swivel so that we are ready for when we start to notice, my heart is getting a little hard. I'm starting to enjoy my sin too much. Uh, I'm getting ruder and ruder to the people that I interact with. I may be starting to drift a little bit. And God's grace of holding on to his people are reminding us of those, those things. Finally, what we need to do with these warning passages, we need to remember that God's warnings are motivated by love. Okay, kids, here we go again. If you're listening, clap twice. Good, good, good. Um, have, your, have your parents ever uh, asked you or told you, hey, stay out of the road? Yeah. How about, hey, put your seatbelt on. Um, stay out of the deep end of the, of the pool. Some says no, okay. You can't swim. What about uh, put, your, put your bike helmet on? Yeah. Don't, don't touch the stove. Yeah, absolutely. That's a, that's a big one. Don't touch that stove. Um, they tell you these things because they don't want you to get hurt. Right? They, they want you to be safe. Okay? Why do they want you to be safe? Because they love you. Right? And because they, they love you, are they going to tell you those things one time? No. How many times are they going to tell you? They're going to say it over and over and over until you die. I like that. Yes, this is, this is exactly, exactly right. So here, here, here this right, right here. God loves you. God loves people. 2 Peter 3.9 says that God is not slow as some consider slowness. It's talking about the second coming of Christ where Jesus is going to bring a culmination to everything. Okay? He's not slow as some count slowness, but is what is patient towards you, not wanting any to perish, but that all come to repentance. This is, this is God's grace in your life. One of my favorite passages in all, all of Scripture is speaking towards, for God's heart towards sinful people is Ezekiel 33, 11. It says this, Say to them, as I live, declares the Lord, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his evil way and live. Turn back, turn back from your evil ways, for why will you die, O house of Israel? He says, turn back, turn back. I'm not just adding the second turn back. It says it right there. Turn back, turn back. The repetition is this, is this reminding. I love you so much. Don't forget this. Don't miss out on this. Turn from your evil ways. So when we think about the context of our... Turn back. Take care. See to it. Fear. Watch your heart. And this is God's grace in our, our lives. It, it, it's not, these warning passages are not things we should be, we should be like, oh no, what if I'm in, in that, that group? We should, we should hear that 
remember that if we are Christians, that Jesus is everything. We talked about we were saying, Lord, I, I need you, saying if I, you know, I'm a son of God. This is all because of what, what Christ has done, and we'll get to that in just a second. But this is God's heart for humanity. And specifically, this is God's heart for you. We'll talk about this in a few minutes, but I mentioned the, the groups that the author is, is speaking to. Those, those same groups are right here today. There's going to be Christians. There's going to be non-Christians who, who know. And there's going to be this, this middle group that go on with the And that's when we get to watch our hearts. We'll talk about that in, in just a second. We'll apply all this in just a few minutes. So we have the reminders of God's rest, the warnings of God's rest. Um, so what is this, this, what is God's rest? What, what are the realities of, of God's rest? And we're going to go through this, this quickly. Um, the other points are much uh, shorter. Don't worry. Um, so what do we know of, of this rest? What do the authors more specifically want his readers to know? And uh, the first thing is the rest has a present reality. Look at uh, 4.1. Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands. Go to 4.6. Since therefore it remains for some to enter it, we're going to keep moving, go to 4.9. So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. One more, go to 4.11. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest. These verses clearly indicate that the preacher knows that there is a rest, a present rest that is available for his hearers. We already talked about um, Psalm 95. It was King David writing to his people, reminding them of the, the failings of their, their ancestors. And, and David is, is understanding they had this rest. There was this idea of the promised land. But David, 100 years later, a little biblical history. Here's the Israelites right here who are testing God, even though God is doing all these amazing things for them. They die in the wilderness. Everyone's twin older because they tested God. Hundred years later, hundreds of years later, David is writing about this same rest. And so we can, we can take from that, the author of Hebrew makes the correlation that since David is imploring his, his readers um, to not harden their hearts like their ancestors did, there must therefore be a similar hope that, that they have. And we can also, also look um, at, at the beginning of verse 7. Go there real quick. It says, Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says. That's really interesting. He didn't say, as the Holy Spirit said. It says, as the Holy Spirit says. So our author in Hebrews knows that though King David penned those words, he knows that the words were actually, and here's a Greek word that I love, and the, one of the few I know, theopneustos. Theopneustos means God breathed. He knows that David wrote these words, but they are God breathed. They are Holy Spirit inspired. And because that is the case, our author of Hebrews knows that they are timeless. doesn't matter how many years have passed. They are timeless. God's words are timely, meaning they are always useful and they are always relevant for all time. And this is what the author of Hebrews, Hebrews knows. And so the rest of God apply to the Israelites' In the desert, the, the audience of King David's writing, and also to the Hebrews. The span of, of thousands of years, a thousand years, the rest still applies, and it still applies to us today. So the rest has a present reality. The second thing is the rest has a spiritual reality. Uh, the author of Hebrews also knows that, that as the Israelites were waiting for this, this promised land, 
there's no way that this rest can only be, be physical. And, and he knows that the ultimate fulfillment, instead, it has to have a spiritual fulfillment. And this is clear for a, a couple of reasons. One of the reasons is kind of what we just considered. Uh, if, if the rest applied to different people over thousands of years, it can't be physical because things don't really last <laughs> for a thousand years. It has to, be, has to be spiritual. And so if their rest was the promised land, consider, consider what we know about the promised land for, for, for just a, a second. We know that God specifically prepared it for his people, right? What, what was it flowing with? Milk and honey, right? We know that it had water, that there was space for all these you know, millions of, of Israelites. We know that it had everything that they need. And we also see, interestingly, in, in Joshua, you don't have to turn there, I'll just go to it quickly. But in Joshua 21, verses 43 and 44, it says this, Thus the Lord gave to Israel all the land that he swore to give their fathers, and they took possession of it, and they settled there. And the Lord gave them rest on every side, just as he had sworn to their fathers. Not one of all their enemies had withstood them, for the Lord had given all their enemies into their hands. So God provided for them through food and water and pasture and everything else, but he also provided by fighting for them. They had no, their, their enemies weren't going to be a problem for a time. They were. Um, but at that, at that time, they, they, were, they were not. So I'm sure, this, I'm sure the promised land was awesome. Um, the, the cool thing is, even though they had all this, this wonderful thing, it was just a shadow of the real rest that was to come. It was just a shadow. It was just a tiny little version of what was to come. And so if we consider this, the this, this spiritual aspect of this rest, we, we know that if there was a physical rest that God provided with physical blessings, physical blessings, you know, water, pastures, freedom from enemies, uh, milk and honey, um, I don't know why they wanted a bunch of milk and honey. Uh, oatmeal enthusiasts. That's the only thing I, I could come up with. Uh, tea, tea snobs, uh, whatever else you'd use milk and honey for. doesn't matter. Since there was a, a physical rest with uh, physical blessings, we can infer then that, and if, if those things were just a shadow of what was to come, we can then infer that there is a spiritual rest, a greater spiritual rest with even greater spiritual blessings for those who are God's people. And the Bible is full from beginning to end of these kinds of, of spiritual blessings. We talk a lot of it, and we could probably name a bunch, but let's just consider just for a second some of these spiritual blessings. You know, we could talk about when we were spiritually dead in our trespasses and sins, and God made us alive, and not just like kind of alive, but abundantly alive to live more fully than we ever could have. We could talk about how we have an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading and being kept for us in heaven. A big part of this rest that our author is talking about is this idea where there is, there is going to come an end to their striving. All this, all this persecution, everything that they're, that they're going through, at, you know, at some point this will end and they will enter into a heavenly rest that is being kept for them. And we could talk about the peace that we can have in times of struggle. Is somebody struggling this morning? Going through something? We can have contentment in times of need. We have joy. There's a joy that is ours in times of absolute sorrow. We have confidence through 
cancer. We have hope through infertility. We can have optimism in poverty. We can find victory over addiction. We can have a love for people in spite of rough relationships. We can find rest in the midst of a laborious and hard and struggling life. This is ours. This is ours. If you are a Christian, if your faith is in Jesus, if you depend on Jesus, this can all be yours. And I kind of gave away my next point. The reason for, for rest. Go to chapter 3, verse 14. In our, our passage, our, our author mentions one thing about this. One little part of a verse. Go to 3.14. says this. For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to end. For we have come to share in Christ. He doesn't say we have come to share in this rest. He says we have come to share in Christ. For, for the author of Hebrews, he makes being in, this, in God's rest and being in Christ almost synonymous. They are the same thing. To experience God's rest is to be in Christ. To be in Christ is to experience God's rest. And in thinking about Jesus being this, this rest, being the better rest. Uh, I love Matthew eleven twenty eight through 30. Go there if you, if you wouldn't mind. 11, 28 to 30. You know exactly where, I, where I'm going. We think of Jesus and rest. We think of his own, own words. Go to verse 28. He says, come to me. All who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Take my, yeah, my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Um, theologian by the name of John Bloom writes this really beautiful little statement. He says, the, in, in, in talking about this passage right here, he says, the simplicity of Jesus' promise is both striking and refreshing. Jesus doesn't offer us a fourfold path to peace, giving enlightenment like the Buddha did. He doesn't give us five pillars of peace through submission as Islam does. Nor does he give us ten ways to relieve your weariness, which we pragmatic and self-help-oriented 21st century Americans are so drawn to. Unique to anyone else in human history, Jesus simply offers himself as the universal solution to all that burdens us. Jesus provides a better rest. Look at Hebrews 4.9. 4.9. We're getting close here. Hebrews 4.9 says this, So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. The, the term here, Sabbath rest, in, in its fullness right there, is the only place in the New Testament that, that is used. We see lots of times when it talks about Sabbath, lots of times about rest, but this is the only time where it says the Sabbath rest. And in the context, the, the author is, is saying to these, these Christians that any kind of striving to earn their salvation is now stopped in Christ. Christ is the fulfillment. And our, our passage in a couple different areas relates this rest of the people of God to God himself resting on the seventh day. I looked a long time to try to figure out what the heck that was saying. Um, I came up with one idea, okay? And you'd think that, like, there would be a consensus. There's not. Um, theologians think a lot of different things. This is what I, I think, okay? Um, 
our passage relates the rest to, to God himself resting. And I, I think what they're, what they're saying is that God was doing one activity for, for six days, right? We know what he was doing. He was creating everything. And then on that seventh day, he had a change of activity. He moved in almost to a different state. He wasn't creating anymore. He was now resting. And like that, I, I think we as, as a people of God, whenever, whenever we come to know Christ and God draws us to himself, we had this time where we were striving and we were earning and tried to merit all this stuff. And then Christ comes into our life and then we enter into a different state. We are now, no longer depending on this faulty, half-hearted work that we do. We are now completely dependent and our confidence is in the finished work of Jesus. I think that's what what the author is, is saying here. So Christ is the reason that we have this rest. The, the reality is, is that there is a present, this rest is present, that, and it, it is also, it's a spiritual reality with spiritual blessings that only apply to God's chosen people. And finally, we have the response to God's rest. And this is where it, this is where it gets really applicable. And it touches every single person in this room. Every age, every gender, every person here. And it brings all of us to a, a point where you know, God, with his double-edged sword, with, which is his word, draws a line in the sand. It says, make a choice. I've warned you. I've reminded you. I've told you what is to come. I've done ev- everything, and now here, here you go. I'm, I'm, I'm calling you to something. Look at uh, Hebrews 4, 12 to 13. 12 to 13. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. The verse tells us that we can't hide from God, where God's word exposes us. And thinking about this idea of, of us, you know, of God's word cutting us, the, 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 the vision, I'll say vision, the idea of a, a, a fish. Do we have any fishermen cleaned fish before? You know how you cut that thing right down the deal and you just flip it open, you can see the inside, you can see the spine, you can see everything. I, that, that's, the, that's the idea that kept coming into my, my mind, where God has our heart and he takes his word and he goes, cuts it in half so he can see exactly what's going on in my heart and in your heart. He knows if it's soft, he knows if it's hard. He knows if you believe in him, he knows if you don't believe. It doesn't matter how many checked boxes, religious check, checked boxes you make on Sunday mornings. doesn't matter. God sees it. And what, what else is interesting, I'm, I'm confident that in verse 13, our author had Adam and Eve in mind when he wrote, when he wrote that, that verse. Look at it. And no creature is hidden from their sight, but all are naked and exposed. After Adam and Eve sinned, what was the very first thing that they did? They, they sewed leaves together. They made clothes. They, they, didn't, they, they realized they were naked. Their eyes were open, and they were ashamed of it. After they did that, then they did what? They hid. Which is, which is just, you know, it's what people would do. Try to play hide-and-seek with God. Um, that's, a, that's a losing game. But they covered themselves. They felt ashamed of their sin and hid from God. Verse 13, no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed. 
Every single one of us are out in the open, bare, spiritually naked before God. We bring nothing to the table. So this morning, God is calling all of us to action, to something. If you're a Christian and you love the Lord, you want to be obedient to him and his commands and you know, God and his love, his mercy, and God, right now, if, if that is you, God and his love and his mercy is reminding you to take care. Watch your heart. Fear. This is how you will persevere to the end, by God reminding you, by saying these things over and over again, like a loving parent who loves you. And Andy touched on this passage last week, um, so we won't go into it much. But so there's just a, a couple, a few questions here that, that you know, we can ask ourselves and ask each other. Verse 12, sorry, verse 13 of chapter 3 says, But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. This is why we meet on Sundays. It's one, one of the reasons. This is why we have DNA groups. This is why we have small groups. This is why we text each other throughout the week. Uh, Joshua Reynolds, he's not here. Uh, but every once in a while, just out of the blue, I'll get a, a, a text from Joshua Reynolds that just says, praying for you, hope you're doing well. Super encouraging. And, and in, in a way convicting, because I am not great at that. Um, I, I know how to text. That's not what I'm saying. I'm a good texter. I just don't remember to, to, to do that. But this is what we, what we need to do. So um, the idea of, of hardening your heart here in this, in this passage, our author uses a, a couple different things to talk about the heart. He says an evil heart, an unbelieving heart, a hard heart. So he uses these things synonymously. And the idea is, do you have a heart that is inclined towards God? Are you right with him? And so here's some things to ask, to ask yourself. It says, do, uh, number one, do you trust that God loves you and has a plan for your life? Are you loving towards people? Are you sensitive to sin and go to great lengths to remove it from your life? Are you, are, you, are you okay with that little bit of sin in your life? Am I okay with a little bit of sin in my life? Do you read, study, memorize, and believe God's word? Is that, is that something that we, that we enjoy, that we see value in? Do you have gospel conversations at work, at home, wherever you are? Is that on your brain, that when you're talking to somebody, you're not just, you know, two, you know, creatures that just happen to interact, but there's, there might be a purpose behind that interaction. Do you spend time in prayer? Do you encourage your fellow Christians to persevere and guard their hearts? Do you allow others to encourage you? And as Christians... If you're a Christian here and you fall into that, that group, number one, you love the Lord, you've been regenerated, your heart is soft towards, towards him, remember that your sins are forgiven, that your name is written in heaven, and the rest that God provides with all of its blessing is, is for you. It's better than any Florida beach nap. It's better than any worldly blessing that you could possibly have that this world could ever offer you, and that you're... Father in heaven loves you so much that he's going to keep reminding you as you open his word, as we continue to study and memorize and hear God and his love is going to remind us, watch your heart, come to me, 
hear my gospel. You've got nothing. I bring everything. This is what God is going to do in his love, and that's what's going to help us persevere, make us persevere to the very end. So go into the world with, with that understanding, knowing that the rest of God is yours right now, is mine right now. We can go into the world with complete joy and with a peace that is weird, that is that is confusing to the world. I, as I, I think about this. When I go to my workplace at U.S. Lawns, I want people to see a joy in me where they, where they step back and say, you know, what, what meaneth this? What's, what's happening? What's going on here? Why is that person joyful? They just look at him. He should not be joyful. You know, I, I want them. I want that, that idea to pop into people's brains um, because it's attractive. It's going to glorify God. And then so we're going to be better at completing our commands that God has given to us. Go into all the earth, preaching the gospel, discipling people. So if, that's, if, you're, if you're a Christian, that's, that's for you. Um, if you're not a Christian, if you, if, if you know, and here's the thing, I think God is good enough that you know. I don't, I don't think God just kind of lets us like sit back and like wonder makes us kind of ambivalent or just curious. Well, maybe, maybe I'm a Christian, maybe I'm not. Maybe Jesus is Lord, maybe he's not. That's not, that's not what, what he does. I, I think he lets us know exactly where we're at. So maybe that's you. You're just going through the motions. Maybe you have a head knowledge of who Jesus is, but you don't fully submit to him. Maybe you check all the right boxes. Uh, maybe your spouse guilts you into being here on Sundays. Maybe you begrudgingly go to small group. Maybe just that's, that's, that's you. You have an idea of Jesus. You get it. Yeah, he's probably Lord, but there's a hard heart. There's no real submission. And like the Israelites, you may have experienced a, a deliverance of some kind. Maybe you have seen God do some things in your life. Maybe you've seen God do some things in a loved one's life, and yet you still disbelieve. You still don't submit to the Father. Or maybe you're here, and you know you're not a Christian, and you're interested. You, you hear maybe something that is said, and you're like, yeah, I would really like to have a rest that God provides. That sounds really nice. If you're an unbeliever, if you, if you don't care... Um, about, about God right now, but you're just here to check bo- boxes, whatever the case, here, now, the gospel of Jesus Christ, the gospel is that God, in his, in his wisdom and in his power and for his good pleasure, created a world, put people in it to love him and to glorify him. And these same people who had everything they wanted, we think of Adam and Eve, I can't think of a better existence than walking around in a beautiful garden, naked with your spouse, eating fruit. This is, this, was their, this is what people what God gave to people. This was it. But they still chose to sin. And because of that, that sin, that relationship with God, the relationship with, with each other, was severed. It was broken. But God in his love, before he did anything, decided that he would create these people. He knew that they would sin, and he decided to to choose a group of people whom he would save and who he would redeem from that sin because we know that the sin that Adam Eve committed that falls to us, it's going to kill us. For the wages of sin is what? Death. Death came into the world because of sin. You and I will die because of that sin. Now our eternal destinies are, are, very, are very different. But every death, every 
tear, every moment of sorrow and pain and illness is because of this sin. But God redeemed a people. He chose to redeem a people. And he did this by coming to earth in the form of his son, dying a death, living a sinless life. Allowed himself to be tried in court as a common criminal, killed as a common criminal, to pay that debt. Three days later, gloriously, miraculously rose again, and now he's sitting at God's right hand, ruling and reigning over all things. If you don't follow Jesus, here is the line in the sand that God is drawing to you today. He has given you today to hear the gospel, to respond to the gospel. Do you acknowledge your need for a Savior? Do you admit that Jesus is Lord of all things? Do you recognize that you are helpless without him? Do you repent of your sin and desire the rest that God provides for his chosen people? Don't be like the Israelites. In verse 4-2 of our passage, 4-2 it says this, For good news came to us just as to them, but the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listen. Another way to say that is the good news came to us just as them, but the message they heard did not benefit them because it was not united by faith in those who heard. They heard the gospel. I think how they heard, they heard the gospel. The Israelites had good news. They knew that God was, was good. They knew that he was faithful, merciful, abounding in steadfast love and forgiving sins. Remember that, that verse in Exodus? God is standing before Moses and says, hey, tell him who I am. And he, and he says these things. They knew that he provides for his people, and that he's good, and that he has a rest specifically tailored to them. But what did they choose to do? They rejected. They rejected him, and they suffered the consequences for their rejection. If you are not a Christian, this morning you have heard the gospel. God in his grace may give you another day to hear the gospel, but right now God is calling you and everyone here to respond appropriately. If you are not a Christian and you refuse to accept to acknowledge that Jesus is, is Lord, the consequences of that will be the same as these Israelites. You will die away from God. And God gives lots of blessings and promises, but there's one thing that he doesn't promise anybody. It's tomorrow. None of us know if we're going to wake up tomorrow. It was a gift that God allowed us all to become conscious this morning and take a deep breath and get ready for the day. But today, while it is actually called today, right now, respond. Respond to the gospel. Experience the blessings that God has for his chosen people. Come to Jesus. Come to the reason for this rest and find a rest in this life, but also for all eternity. That's God's word for you today. It's God's word for us today. And the great thing that we get to do every Sunday is we get to acknowledge what Jesus did. We get to acknowledge that he is that sacrifice. Not was, he is. He is the one that paid that price that we could never pay. He atoned for the death that we deserve. And so we get to take communion. And the way that we, we do that is we're going to have two lines come here. You're going to have people up in the front, your brothers and sisters in Christ. 
are going to hold that bread for you, and they're going to say, this is Christ's body, and it's broken for you. Here's the blood of Christ that was shed for you. Do this in the remembrance of me. When you do this, remember. Remember what I've done for you. Um, So if you are a believer in Christ, your heart is soft to the Lord. Before you come up, repent of your sin again. Come forward with a clear conscience and with, with your hope set in Christ, with your rest fully secured in the work of Christ. Take communion. Thank him for it. Uh, if you are not a Christian, God has called you. You've heard the gospel again. Acknowledge the reality that Jesus is Lord, that you bring nothing, that you deserve death, that your sin is against God and God alone, and he's made a way. He died for you and loves you. If that's you, I would love to talk to you. Um, do we have any other elders in, in, the, in the room right now? If you're an elder, raise your hand. We have a couple elders. Um, if, if, you want to be a, if you want to become a Christian and, and you acknowledge maybe for the first time right now that Jesus is Lord, that he did, they did fight, die for you, that you need him, I want you to find one of those elders, come talk to me and just talk to them. Uh, we, we would love to uh, just to confirm that in, in you and give you some more information and then together maybe take your first communion. Um, that would be an amazing thing. Um, so with that, let's pray. Uh, Father, we uh, are we're in awe of, of you. Lord, we, we do acknowledge that we bring absolutely nothing to the table. Um, there's... We, we may try. We, we may like the idea that we have to bring some, but we bring something, Father. So God, as we take communion, Jesus, would you um, sink those realities deep into our, our mind, into our hearts, Father, that Jesus, you did all, and that we are dependent upon you, Father. And would you draw those who weren't yours, Father, would you draw them to yourself today and draw all of us closer to you as we consider your death, we consider your, your resurrection and your reign, Father. And Jesus, we thank you for the rest that you provide. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray.